0: Previously on the curious of a child. We were pulled down into the depths of hell. Aborosity, aborosity. The bangship against back, back. To the gates. I asked the I asked Anton, Anton. I only downloaded the free Kindle sample of the book. And the spell was cut short. The gate is still open. <sighs> <laughs> Christy of
1: Hey child.
0: Episode... 44. 44? Yeah. Happy New Year to everybody. I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and everything. hmm Did you, oh. Anton?
1: It was alright. Yeah, I did. <laughs>
0: okay, good. Um, but should we get straight into the episode? Into the show. This could possibly be our most dangerous episode yet, Anton. Oh, no. So if you remember last time, we were dragged down into the pits of hell when our Banshee summoning spell went wrong. And, um... Some of this was because we only had the free Amazon Kindle sample of the book, um, so I couldn't afford the full book. So maybe you could support us on Patreon, where we will be able to um, fund all the book buying and sound effects and hosting and also your future education, and done.
1: Yep, hopefully we can get better quality episodes, because at the moment I'm really stupid, as, as all listeners know. Um, and also I think... I think it would be nice to go on patreon and get some exclusive rewards
0: that's right yeah which we'll try and put up
1: <laughs> yeah no promises
0: yeah no promises um do we we'll have, have notes uh we have a link on our website and on social media and in the show notes um but i also think another reason why our spell went wrong was because um we were using the wrong elements i mean i do not think that actually wind earth fire and water are the real elements of how the world works do you
1: No, um, I think we're going to explore atoms, the real elements of this um, awesome world. (laughs) I don't know. Um, This episode, we're exploring the elements, the atoms that make everything you see, everything you touch, use and eat. They make up you.
0: That's right. Yeah, they are absolutely everything around us. Now, do you know where all these elements come from, all these things that make us up and how they're formed?
1: Uh, not exactly.
0: Okay, well, I'm no expert on this, <laughs> but I've got a, a rough outline here. So we need to go right back to the, the very beginning of time, the first nanoseconds after the Big Bang.
1: So just before Granny.
0: Just before Granny, exactly. Yep. Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, now the universe as we know it, it doesn't exist yet. Everything is just a mass of superheated particles that are speeding about and all smashing into each other. And then within half a second. Of these collisions the first protons neutrons and electrons were formed then in the next few minutes the protons and the neutrons they crashed together and they fused creating hydrogen and helium nuclei as well as small quantities of lithium and beryllium beryllium <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're so good <laughs>
0: um so these are the most basic atoms so if you know you've got your nucleus in the middle which has a neutron and a proton combined together then electrons are on the outside yeah so these basic ones they were just um, one, two, three or four pairs of neutrons and protons together, those elements. Now, after this mad rush of activity, things were calmer for nearly 400,000 years.
1: I actually what? forgot Granny was that old. What? I
0: know. It's shocking, isn't it? <laughs>
1: I'm scared now for my um, life.
0: <laughs> well, we all are, as you'll find out. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but I wonder if time was passing really differently back then? Yeah, because so it... time was kind of still forming as well, itself.
1: See episode 40 for more in time.
0: That's right. Um, And at this stage, the universe was more like a fog, and then you'd have light in all different directions. And in this kind of cloud, you'd have nuclei and you'd have electrons all whizzing around for another 1.6 million years until they cooled to a relatively mild 1,000 degrees Celsius. Yep. And then finally, the electrons started to join with the nuclei, and the first atoms as we know them were born. Now the gravity of these new atoms uh, caused them to cluster together into ever denser and denser clouds. And this would generate lots of friction as they were all rubbing together, and they got so hot that they actually ignited and started um, nuclear fusion. So that's the stars being born. And then, so you'd have the gravity pulling in on the star, and you'd have all the heat energy pushing outwards, and they would find equilibrium, and that's a star. It's a balance between gravity pushing in, heat pushing out. And that's how they keep their shape. That's cool. And at the very centre of these stars, the temperature would reach 16 million degrees Celsius. At these extreme heats and pressures, the hydrogen and helium atoms, they vibrate hard enough to meld and they form other elements like oxygen and carbon. So they actually merge together because there's so much kind of intensity there.
1: Mm. They're like crashing into each other and eventually they just...
0: Yeah, and being like crushed together. Yeah. Think of a power up after you've scored a goal or something. How yep. hot that gets. It's horrible. And you're like, oh, and that's how these poor little early atoms felt. <laughs> but these are still classed as light atoms. So how do we get the heavier ones?
1: Mm, more crashing?
0: Pretty much, yeah. So when like really massive stars far bigger than our sun have burnt all their core away, um, converting it into iron, they begin to cool down. Then, as they do so, the force of gravity overwhelms the heat that's pushing outwards and they rapidly collapse. And the outer star will smash into the solid iron core. And this happens really, really quickly. So you get like a massive speeds. And has all these particles are out, so poof, poof, in a big explosion. So
1: they sort of implode. Is that imploding or is that different?
0: When I guess it is an implosion because subs- it's going inwards. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's so much energy in this explosion or implosion. So it goes supernova, then there's a shockwave that rips the star apart. As this happens, some of the atoms are fused together into heavier elements.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And now all of these heavier elements they start floating in space, and they're circling and reforming, and the gravity's all pulling them together again. And They become new stars, and more importantly for us, they become planets like Earth, full of all the wondrous and amazing elements that give us everything, including life itself. So we are all just one long running chemistry experiment.
1: So I always thought the answer to life was forty two, but it's actually elements.
0: Ah, uh, well, we don't know the question.
1: Oh. Because
0: okay. we know the answer. And the Earth was created to as a giant computer to find the answer to forty two.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Need the Hitchhiker's to go to the galaxy to get that reference. <laughs> So I've got a chemical formula for you here containing um, a few elements. So can you just oh, okay. give our listeners a rough idea of what I've shown you?
1: Okay. So there's a lot of atoms. Uh, hydrogen has 375 million. Oxygen with 132 million. Carbon with 85,700,000. Uh, nitrogen with six million four hundred thirty. Calcium with 1,500,000, that's quite a lot. Um, and then there's a lot more different types of acids after that. <laughs> I'm not reading all of that.
0: Yeah, I think there's magnesium there, 400,000. Um, and So do you know what this is the chemical formula for? 42. No, this is us. That's what humans are made of. But you have to times it by a few hundred trillion for each of those numbers. Oh. Now, shall we have a little experiment to just see how weird the elements are? Okay. and you can actually play along at home too all you need is lots of the same thing for example some raisins or pennies or peanuts and dan <laughs> has now returned with some raisins and he's going to put some on his plate we need that's enough yeah
1: <laughs> yeah okay so what do i do
0: okay so each of these raisins whatever you've got, it's going to represent one atom. Okay. Now, you need to remember that all the atoms are are protons, neutrons, and electrons just mixed together in bigger and bigger quantities.
1: Okay, one second. So, are we making the, the human body here? So, I've got to get three trillion.
0: No, no, thankfully we're not doing the human body. We don't okay. need that money. <laughs> okay. So, if you take out one of the raisins from your pile, okay? Yep. Now, that's a hydrogen atom. So, this is a gas It's explosive. It's two-thirds of water, and it has one proton, one neutron, and one electron. And its boiling point is minus 250 degrees C. Now, take a second raisin. Okay. And put it with the first raisin. Mm -hmm. Now, imagine these being mashed together. This is helium, which is another gas. Now, this is two protons, two neutrons, and two electrons, but it's not explosive. Take a third raisin. Okay. Now, this is lithium. It's an alkali metal. And it's got a boiling point of 1,342 degrees C. And it's three d- protons, three neutrons, and three electrons. If you put that in water, you'll catch on fire.
1: <laughs> I was about to put it in water.
0: <laughs> and 7-Up actually used to contain lithium until 1948. <laughs> now, if you had a fourth raisin, yep. how many neutrons, protons, electrons do you have in that one?
1: Um, four.
0: Yeah, four of each. So what exactly are we doing when we add another raisin to represent the subbotanic particles? All we're doing is adding more of the same stuff, aren't we?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're not doing anything else. Now, beryllium, if you take a fourth one, that is another alkaline earth metal, and it's transparent to x-rays, and it's used in nuclear warheads as it can block neutrons flying about. <laughs> now, if you've got 16 of them, yep. don't worry if you can't count that high. Now, that's <laughs> sulfur, and it's a non-metal. It stinks of rotten eggs and it's bright yellow. hmm Now, if we go up to atomic number 29, that's copper. It's called a transition metal. It's reddish-brown, it's hard and it's a great conductor of electricity. Add four more to that and we have arsenic, atomic number 33. Once an important ingredient in green pigments, such as shield's green, it is also highly poisonous and some people suspect Napoleon was killed by the green wallpaper while he was in exile.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Element 47, that's silver, a precious metal, that was used to create mirrors, as it say, reflective. But these reflections could be more permanent, A silver nitrate salt is light-sensitive and enabled the earliest photography. Mm. 54 mm. protons, neutrons, and electrons, you get xenon a noble gas that glows bright when electrically excited, and is also used to power um, engines and satellites. I like xenon. 79 is gold, melting point 1064 degrees, doesn't tarnish. Add one more proton, neutron, electron, and what do you get?
1: Ah, uh, Mercury.
0: Yeah, Mercury. Moulin point minus 39 degrees C. A silver-coloured liquid metal that's highly toxic. And one more. 88 radium. Radioactive and glows in the dark. Just from adding more of the same stuff together. So I hope that what you can see is that all the elements can be wildly different. And this difference is just coming from adding more of the same. It's like if you were to put your raisins in your mouth and the first one tastes normal... Put in two and a taste of roast chicken. Put in three at the same time. You've got vanilla ice cream that scissors on the tongue. Eat 12 at once and you're poisoned. 65 and your head explodes. You're lucky though. You were only eating raisins. And the combination of atoms that makes them up is really delicious. Some things contain much worse combinations of atoms than raisins. Mm-hmm. So how smelly was my great London stink recreation?
1: disgusting if you want to hear my uh, live reaction episode 30 <laughs>
0: yeah it's a good one well in these you got some um combinations of atoms in atoms molecules um which are propanethion and <laughs> methanethal <laughs> and they're much <laughs> worse and these two combinations of atoms are s- so bad that they can cause unconsciousness spontaneous vomiting and even death
1: the euphoria Resinfera resin plant contains a chemical with a Scoville heat unit value of 16 to 160 billion. The hottest chilli is only about 2 million Scovilles. That's spicy enough to kill.
0: That's crazy. That's really hot. Um, there's another chemical that's 230,000 times sweeter than sugar as well.
1: <laughs> I want to try that.
0: I think, I think that'd probably kill you as well.
1: Oh, I don't want to try that.
0: Uh, but as crazy and exotic as they sound, all these things are simply made of the elements the same as everything else. So these basic elements, these atoms, they're both really simple yet magically complex at the same time. But if they're, say, random in their behaviours, how can we ever hope to understand and harness their potential? Well, first we need to find them, don't we? And some are really rare. So there's a single flake of protactinium, which weighs 125 grams in the entire world. That's all there is of it. Uh So how do you find something far smaller than the eye can observe, something too small to even reflect waves of light?
1: Well, probably the first people to understand the world is made of incredibly small building blocks were the atomist philosophers of ancient Greece. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Born around 460 BCE, Greek philosopher Democritus was a... cent. Democritus, (laughs) Democritus, (laughs) was a central figure in the development of atomism, atomism. The theory everything is made of tiny particles called atoms.
0: I'll just interrupt here, so atom actually used to mean undividable. But we now know it is made of separate subotonic particles. Sorry, please resume.
1: Thank you. (laughs) He believed that only two things exist, the atoms and the void. Void is space between atoms which allows matter to move. Without the void, nothing could move and nothing could change. To Democritus, atoms were indivisible. Nothing smaller could exist, and came in many different shapes, giving them different properties. Water was smooth and round, so able to roll and flow. Iron atoms were rough and jagged, clinging together to form a solid body. His atoms were also eternal, They were never created or destroyed, but the items uh, they were made from could wear away and form new things.
0: So that's actually pretty close to how we understand atoms today. It's amazing to think that he understood this purely by observing the world. So I guess from uh, Democritus onwards, we just started to learn more about
1: the atomic world? No. A certain guy called Aristotle disagreed. He knew... Everything was made from wind, fire, water, and earth. We've already said this is wrong, and everyone seems to believe him.
0: Yeah, we know how much trouble that got us into last episode, don't we? Uh Thank you, Aristotle. I just think he's heralded as such a great thinker, but in many ways his work's held us back for such a long time. And it would actually take until 18th of July, 1985, for a testable atomic hypothesis to be formulated by a certain Mr. Einstein. Oh, I like him. Yeah, good hair. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, Whilst working in the Swiss painting office he came across a 1827 paper by a Scottish botanist named Robert Brown and in it Brown described the random movement of pollen uh, grains floating on water which is now called Brownian motion and he couldn't explain it so he actually thought the um, pollen might be alive in the water and what Einstein proposed um, was that the pollen was being bombarded by water atoms and then he created an equation to test this idea writing
1: it is hoped that some inquirer may succeed shortly in solving the problem suggested here.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant accent. I actually thought I was in the room with the spirit of Weinstein. <laughs> um, and his theory was soon tested and proved to be correct. So we actually had evidence that atoms existed. That's so good. We have actually since managed to photograph atoms using scanning, tunneling microscopes, which can see distances smaller than the waves of visible light. And in 2013, IBM created a stop-motion animation using single atoms called A Boy and His Atom. Yep. And we'll have this in our show notes and on our Twitter, at Curie Child uh, where you can watch the animation. You saw a bit of it the other day, didn't you?
1: Uh-huh. I don't get how they made the atoms in that shape.
0: Yeah, I, I don't actually how, know how they move them. Maybe magnetism or something? I don't know. I've got no idea. <laughs>
1: something like that.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's head back to Ancient Greece. Now, despite atonism not catching on. there was an understanding that different metals existed, such as gold, silver, copper tin, lead, uh, mercury and iron. And I read in one of my books, but I can't find it now that um, around one of the mines, there was actually silver bubbling out of the ground. so I guess there's geothermal activity there which heated up, and due to the relatively low melting points, the silver or tin or whatever came to the surface. Mm. So uh, the world was kind of seen as alive actually newton when he was looking at the elements he believed that um they were alive because you get the veins of the ore like in minecraft Mm. going down through the earth um they were almost like tree roots and things aren't they to the ancient peoples each of these metals was understood to have different properties and values so gold is seen as the most viable being bright like the sun and never tarnishing now tin and copper on the other hand they could be combined to make bronze a metal much harder than either alone but also Relatively easy to cast and work with, and then tin has a very low melting point of only two hundred thirty-one point nine degrees Celsius. So we decided that we would recreate an old Raymond casting technique where molten metal would be poured into molds made with codfish bones. So I actually, when you were ill the, the other day before Christmas, that's how long we've been working this episode. I went down the beach and I collected some codfish. So I've got a little recording of that, and then we've also got a recording of us casting metal
1: and um remember previous episodes we were talking about the divine phallus we um may have cast that i think our our video as well of us casting it will be on patreon
0: yeah i'm gonna put that up on our Patreon. um so So no one
1: will see it (laughs)
0: you can see us in the wood burner actually making it so um let's play the recording
1: I'm down the beach looking for some cuttlefish, which the Romans would use when they're moulding
0: tin items they would actually carve into the cuttlefish bone to make moulds, and it's, you might be able to hear the roar of the sea behind me, it's quite a um, cool December morning. I haven't found any yet, and I'm down here by myself as Anton has unfortunately got his knees strapped up after a playground injury. Good hunting now as I've gone up to the top of the beach where I should have gone before where there's lots of seaweed and kelp and also all the cuttlefish bones here so I've just got two full big sized ones which should be perfect for carving. Anton should be excited to see these but he doesn't know about the experiments yet. Now we're actually using the fires of hell here from where the Banshee <laughs> took us Yeah. Um, so you can already hear them roaring away because we are trying to. Fashion some tools in which to escape and return to you so we can actually record this episode properly. <laughs> so, I'm going to leave that in the fire so it's a very low melting point. I'm just going to close the door for a bit.
1: Very hot. <laughs> What's going to happen to our little pot?
0: Well, that's made out of stainless steel, which has a melting point of about 1400 uh, 1, degrees.
1: Okay, so it shouldn't melt? No, it shouldn't melt. <laughs> Wow, that is very, very hot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that opening is the safe. door there. My eyes, eyes are melting right now. Oh, oh, oh. Right, can you... Oh, yeah, minutes? it's is starting that... to
0: melt. Ah, can you see how liquid it is? Yeah. And the surface tension kind of holds together like mercury looks. Mm-hmm. Right, shall we have a go at
1: pouring this, then? Yeah, I'm excited.
0: Right, let's put that back in. That's very, 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 very hot, so you can't touch it, okay?
1: No. <laughs> I wasn't planning to.
0: Now, if we added some copper to that, what metal would we make?
1: We would, with tin and copper, we would make bronze.
0: Yes, exactly. So, it only took, what, a minute or something to yeah. melt. So it Right, now, let's close the fire. Oof and make sure everything's done. And let, let's just leave those and we should be take them out of the mould tomorrow and hopefully break off any of the uh, like residue. Stuff like <laughs> that's over. That was really hot, wasn't it? Doing uh-huh. that? Um, so could you imagine how it must have felt doing this on an industrial scale 2,000 years ago and maybe doing something with uh, melting copper, which has got a melting point of over 1,000 degrees to make bronze? I mean, way hotter than we had there. For thousands of years, our experimentation with the elements... Have allowed us to grow and given us advantages, not only against nature, but also against our fellow man. So, roughly 4,000 years ago, we allied copper with tin to create bronze, so hard and malleable and perfect for tools and weapons. It was a huge advantage over stone or wood. A thousand years later, we had replaced bronze with iron, forging stronger blades with which to conquer, plows with which to till, and tools to harvest and build and create. So important were these materials that we actually named eras after them, didn't we? The bronze and the iron ages. Empires were built on bronze and iron and gold.
1: And as we said at the beginning of the episode, the elements are the building blocks of the universe, which have accompanied us on and been such a big part uh, in our early technological evolution, so naturally also found their way into our culture.
0: That's right, not always in material form, but sometimes in language itself. Pliny the Elder wrote about gold.
1: It is the only metal that loses nothing by contact with fire. Perfect.
0: So how is something marked as the best?
1: It is gold standard.
0: Yeah, it's called the gold standard, isn't it? Or something. Like, it's the gold, it's the top, it's the best, or you think of the medal tables. Mm -hmm. Or if you've got a fancy credit card or bank account, then that would be platinum. So where does this idea of value come from? It could be from two scientists who in the early 1800s purified platinum from platina and sold it at 6,000% profit. (laughs) Or if you want to make um, a product that's seen as quality or clean, what element would be good for that? Silver? Yeah. And it also has, um, you can use silver oxide, can't you, on keyboards to keep them clean and door handles and things in hospitals. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now in the 50s, chromium was all the rage. It was the new hotness. And then came Titanium, so if you add that to your product name, it gives it a modern, sophisticated feel, doesn't it?
1: All new Titanium Toilet Cleaner.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, It's not always positive, though. So radium was once the uh, new darling, but not for long, when its dangers became apparent. It's the unique properties when protons, neutrons and electrons combine into all the materials in the universe that give us our love of them, and also drive us crazy. As Pliny said,
1: The first person to put gold on his fingers committed the worst crime against human life.
0: That's a pretty big statement, isn't it?
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Our obsession with wealth and gold and materialism. Ever since, the fate of humanity has been linked to that of the elements. We knew of a handful in ancient times, but the discoveries would start to dry up during the Middle Ages. Then in the 1700s, Incidentally, when we started to get really good glass, things really began to pick up pace. Modern practices, scientific theory and reasoning all led to a flurry of new discoveries and inquiry. China, for so long, the dominant scientific and technological force, began to give up some of its lead to Europe in the late early modern period. Um, and the use of silicon dioxide to create glass was one factor, as it was adopted across Europe, but not in China, where there was a preference of porcelain. So if you picture a science lab, what do you see?
1: Um, glass, beakers and flasks, test tubes.
0: Exactly, yes. Yeah. So there's lots of glass there, isn't there? Mm-hmm. And then what's amazing about glass is it's very chemically inert. So you can put all sorts of things in there and it won't react. And it's also impermeable. So it holds liquids in. So it was a massive enabler of chemistry. So without glass, modern chemistry wouldn't have been possible. Pioneers such as Carl Wilhelm Scheele, Joseph Priestley and Bernard Cortese now had the apparatus and basic understanding to go in search of and separate different compounds and elements. So you think most of them, when you you don't find most elements in their pure states, so are always going to be mixed in with other um, material.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you and me may still go unnoticed, even though they allow the modern world. Um, but then you selected a few elements you liked, didn't you?
1: Mm-hmm. So. so my first one... Xenon. Let me get my special book of knowledge.
0: Okay, and I'm going to look at my periodic table. So that's uh, atomic weight 54, Xenon.
1: So I like this because it looks really cool. And I think it's a gas.
0: Yeah, it's one of the noble gases.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I just like the look of it. Let me, let me read a little bit about it to you. Okay. Xenon is so rare that there's only one atom of this gaseous elements for every 10 million other atoms in the air.
0: Wow. I'm looking at
1: the one next to it now and I wish I picked Krypton because that looks cool too.
0: But Krypton, that's another Nobel gas. Mm -hmm. Now what's amazing about these is when you run or electrically stimulate them, they all glow. And Xenon will be used in car headlights to make them brighter. And um, a 2019 RAC study showed that 60% of drivers so, they get dazzled by oncoming vehicle lights, and 70% get dazzled by them in the rear view mirror. And 91% of people said that car lights are too bright now, thanks to Xenon.
1: Let's start a Kickstarter to make new, new not so bright lights for every car. Wow.
0: Well, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a hard sell, that one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All the noble gases, they're actually really chemically inert, they don't react with many things. They're very stable. Okay, so I think you've got another one. You've got bismuth now, haven't you?
1: Yeah, bismuth is my favourite looking one.
0: Chemical element number 83.
1: We'll link some pictures to bismuth, I think, because it looks really cool. Um, Nice colour.
0: Is this the one with all the square crystals?
1: Yep. I'm not sure if this is 100% correct, but from memory, bismuth was our first um, element that was discovered by a scientist. It's radioactive. But, yeah, but still it's weirdly, like, uh, relatively stable. Oh it it y- yeah, the last few million years.
0: Actually, yeah, the half-life's very, very low on that. For a long time it wasn't thought to be radioactive. Did you know that you can actually dissolve it in nitric acid and you would create a white-coloured cosmetic that was similar to lead? But it wasn't as dangerous as lead, so that would pock your skin. Yeah. But with the bismuth-based one, during a day out in the cities, uh, all the... Um, sulfur in the air from the coal burning; it would turn your face a kind of brownie colour, mm-hmm. or rather the um, the cosmetic a brownie colour, but it's still used <laughs> today in some cosmetics to give a pearlescence. Nice.
1: Should
0: we go on to the next one?
1: Yep. Tantalum.
0: And this is element number seventy-three.
1: I think what drew me to tantalum was, well, once again, it looks really cool. But it's got some um, uses that I wouldn't expect, like like artificial joints. So if you have a hip really? replacement thing, yeah, I know. Um, tantalum has the third highest melting point of any element, three thousand seven hundred degrees Celsius, making it perfect for use in nuclear reactors.
0: Yeah, nice. Uh, do you know how it got its name? Mm-mm. Oh, it's named after a Greek king called. Tantalus, and he was punished for stealing from the guards. And what they did, they put him in a pool of water that he was not unable to drink from. And it's because, again, it's pretty inert. It doesn't react very much. So I think that's why it's going to be good for medical uses. Because you can put it in the body and it's not going to do anything bad. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's also got a bit of a downside to its history because it's really important in um, modern electronics. It's, you can make very small components with it. So mobile phones and stuff aren't possible without tantalum. Um, it was also quite rare so it's led to international tensions and um, during the civil war in the democratic republic of congo it's actually being used to fond both sides uh, fighting against each other mm-hmm. so again it's showing that like uh, Pliny said about gold isn't it it's, it's our obsession with these materials
1: then next one is vanadium or vanadium
0: it's element number 23
1: I like the look of this one I like the red crystals. I also got drawn to it because it's found in a mushroom as well. Okay. And some of the uses of it is to make tools uh, which have been alloyed uh, with steel and vanadium.
0: Yeah, that actually makes it more resistant to uh, vibrations and shocks. You only need 1% of it added.
1: Mm Mhm. And also I quite liked the... Damascus steel knives from Babylonian times, is it?
0: Um, I'm trying to think, when they go back to, yeah. I from over Damascus still from um, yeah, the, like capital, the Parazons, which you can't call them that anymore, they can you?
1: The capital mm. city of Syria, yes. Damascus, so.
0: Yeah, Very and the Crusades.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's important to keep us healthy as well. We need really small amounts of it in our body. Um, and, like you said, you get it from mushrooms and shellfish, spinach, and black pepper. Ooh, it's episode 36, if I you know the history of pepper.
1: We've linked a lot of episodes.
0: We have. And, uh, right, let's do one more element that you've chosen, which is zinc, your last one, which is an element number 30. So it's 30 protons, electrons, and neutrons.
1: I like zinc because at school I have been doing some experiments with it. We've done some experiments um, with our mouse science kits, which mm-hmm. are really good as well. Yeah. And. The ore of it looks a lot cooler than I was expecting.
0: Oh wow, that's so shiny. It and they top the kind of cubes as well. Pinky, uh-huh. black cubes. That's very cool. Yeah, so zinc, you can alloy it with tin. And I actually tried to do that when we were doing our melting of our tin. Uh, but it was a little bit scary without the proper equipment, <laughs> because you've got to get much hotter for zinc. It's up to 600 degrees, I think. And um, you can also mix it with copper, create brass.
1: I think that we've done that in one of our mal-science things.
0: You did, didn't you? It was
1: called turning silver into gold, but it was the mixing the zinc and the copper.
0: Yeah, so you did that chemically rather than with heat. Yeah. I forgot about that, yeah. Um, And, yeah, so brass was actually known as a metal before zinc Uh because you often get it occurring in the same ore, in the same place. So when they dug it up, it was already sort of pre-mixed. Anyway, so that's a few elements that you like, isn't it?
1: I like elements, actually, now I think about it. <laughs>
0: They're really interesting. I mean, I've been fascinated doing all the research here. When I mean, you really start to think about them, it's like, pfft, mind blown.
1: mm mm-hmm.
0: um, But there's something missing from our story. So we've looked at all these incredible elements and their properties, but it's all a bit random, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I think that it's been so chaotic because we don't have a, a table for them. I think we might call it the periodic table of elements.
0: But could you put them into a table? Because they just, to me, we're picking them up and one's exploding in water one's kind of a gas another one's a metal one can,
1: can we sort melts? them by the number of of um protons and stuff they have
0: well let's see if anybody's managed to do this shall we <laughs> yep so why is one thing a metal another a gas why does one glow and another conduct electricity is there no order to this chaos is there no guide for scientists enter
1: Dmitri Mendeleev Russian chemist and highly bearded man.
0: Yeah, he's got lovely beards. There <laughs> he is, there, at his desk. We have a picture in the show notes. And he was born in 1834 in a village in Siberia. And he was the youngest of 13, or maybe 17, I've read different <laughs> accounts. Children. And his father was a school principal and teacher, and his mother was from a well-known family of merchants. Actually, founded the first printing house in Siberia. Hmm. And there's his uh, parents. Hello. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, and she looks quite moody, and mm. he's he looks, got a funny tuft of hair on the top of his yeah, forehead. Yeah, he
1: doesn't look quite so hairy.
0: No, he's 11. got mutton chops, though. Yep. Um,
1: <laughs> we should just rate people on how hairy they are.
0: Yes. <laughs> the uh, Neanderthal ranking.
1: Yep. <laughs>
0: um, okay, so, yeah, his parents, they were certainly not at the top of society, but neither were they at its bottom. Now, when Dimitri was still a teenager, his father actually went blind. So he was forced to help financially support the family by teaching science. So I don't know what all his older brothers and sisters were doing. No. I don't know. Why does it come down to the youngest one? It's a familiar story. <laughs> right. um, but he, he was a really bright young man and age 15 his mother decided that he needed a better education. So they set out on foot to trek across Russia to search for any university for him to attend. After nearly 3,000 kilometres and close to a year of travelling, they reached St. Petersburg. So if you look at the map there, mate, you can see how far he travelled.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a good job he didn't waste his education.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a long way, isn't it? Uh But sadly, by the time um, they'd reached St. Petersburg, his mother, uh, Maria, she was in poor health and she actually died. Oh. But not before she saw him attend St. Petersburg State University to study chemistry. Oh, that's good. So she didn't see all this success he'd go on to have. But he would have made her proud. He was one of the greatest chemists of his day and is a natural and passionate communicator, rather like us. And, um, <laughs> he'd it, make... we,
1: don't, we don't need the greatest chemist. We're just the greatest.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Obviously. And he'd go on to make um, one of the most important contributions to modern science. He would bring order to chaos. He'd make the elements make sense, as far as that's possible. And he'd even predict the properties of unknown elements yet to be discovered. (gasps) But how is this possible? (gasps) What witchcraft could this be?
1: (gasps) The periodic table. Yeah. There had been several attempts to organise the elements in the past. German chemist Johann Döberleiner categorised them by their properties, such as lithium, sodium and potassium reacting with water and being soft enough to cut with a knife. Prior to this, Antoine Lavoisier put them into groups of gases, metals, non-metals and earths. It was far from perfect, however. His gases contained light and heat uh, and the earth, chalk, etc.,
0: yeah, so not exactly the uh, correct chemical arrangements there. Or Old just readings.
1: any element, correct element at all there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the wow. element of light.
0: <laughs> Did you know that Lavoisier, yeah, he had a magnifying glass 2.6 metres wide? Hmm. <laughs> well, really, it was a, what's called a burning glass. It was used to focus the sun's rays into a 2.7 centimetre point of really intense heat. So that you That sounds
1: see- like a pretty... Prime ant burner
0: <laughs> yeah um, you can think of it as a precursor to particle accelerators, really. and the one that it, one of the ones he used was called the great burning glass of Trudane. and it could burn a or rather melt a copper penny in just 30 seconds Ooh. on a hot day. He could also use it to burn gold and tin and even diamonds. and by doing that he discovered carbon, which is element six, <laughs> and essential for life. I've got a picture here of one of the burning machines. And um, we have this in the same notes well, so it, it's big, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it is very big. It's a nice picture, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: Lavoisier, along with Joseph Priestley, who was also a theologian, talked about normative determinism. And Carl Scheele all discovered oxygen around the same time as well. So there's lots of activity going on in this period. hmm So when heated, mercury combines with oxygen and it turns red, creating mercury oxide. Now, previously, the act of burning was thought to remove what was called phlogiston from the material being burnt. Now, phlogiston, which I think I'm mispronouncing, that was seen as a sort of essence of fires. It's a bit like the old elemental fire you would have had with wind, water and air. Mm -hmm. However, when weighed, the mercury oxide was heavier than the original mercury. So that meant that something from the air a gas had to have been combined to increase its mass. Of course, to be able to do that, you need to have loads and loads of mercury. You can't just do it on one atom, because we had no way of measuring things that small. Now further experiments were made, including reversing the process, which released the oxygen, which Priestley wrote about as, My reader will not wonder that, after having ascertained the superior goodness of the deflogicated air by mice living in it, I should have the curiosity to taste it myself. I have gratified that curiosity by breathing it. The feeling of it to my lungs was not sensibly different from that of common air. I fancied that my breast felt peculiarly light and easy for some time afterwards. Who can tell but that, in time, this pure air may become a fashionable article in luxury? Hitherto, only two mice and myself have had the privilege of breathing it. And he was right, it did become a fashionable article of luxury, with people using oxygen tents today was amazing, he was like the first person to experience pure oxygen.
1: Uh-huh. And then the two mice. <laughs>
0: Lavoisier, he would go on to discover water made of. So what two elements is that?
1: Hydrogen and oxygen.
0: Yeah, and it also ascertained that the air that we breathe is mostly nitrogen and oxygen. So like, amazing how through all the apparatus that have been developed, they're able to combine and separate different molecules and compounds and then isolate these different chemicals. Mm-hmm. Or atoms and elements, rather. Well, sorry, we were talking about the periodic table, weren't we? Yep.
1: In 1863, Englishman John Newlands arranged the 63 known elements in ascending order by atomic weight and discovered they almost followed a cyclic pattern. He put them into rows of seven elements. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, etc. So, the second row would start uh, at the eighth element, and the third, 15th, like I said, etc. He called these periods.
0: So, this is like journals or magazines being called periodicals because they're published at regular intervals. So, there's a regular repeating pattern, it seems.
1: Mm-hmm. The columns he called families, and they contain similarly behaving elements. There was a problem with Newland's table, though it was wrong. It didn't work.
0: What? Okay.
1: When some elements such as cobalt and nickel didn't fit his table, he put them in, um, them both in the same box and called them the same element. This is where the genius of Mendeleev comes in. He made a deck of cards containing the elements, um, allowing him to play with their position and grouping. The cards made it easy to reposition and experiment. I like cards.
0: You do like cards? I do like cards. Um, that's also shown the importance of play. An experimentation mm-hmm.
1: and on 17th of february 1896 after three days and nights without sleep he collapsed on the floor exhausted surrounded by his cards dead no Phew. he had a vivid dream of his cards dancing before his eyes a dance of the elements and the organization of matter itself as they danced they fell into place and they did follow a cycle but not the forced one of John Newland's.
0: Amazing. Quite poetic somehow as well. Mm. You know, He was also a consultant for the government, where one of his tasks was improving agricultural productivity and uh, cheese making. And we all know <laughs> that cheese gives you odd dreams.
1: Mm-hmm. The 63 elements uh, we had discovered weren't the complete set. There were holes in the table in the cycle. We were missing 32 germanium, 61 promethium, 72 hafnium. By leaving spaces for these unknown elements, order could be given to those we didn't know.
0: Yes, it might seem obvious to us now that there were holes in the table, but it can be hard to appreciate just the genius of this idea. It seems so simple, but we don't know what we don't know, do we?
1: Exactly. And why, w- why would there be holes in the table?
0: Yeah. These scientists, they were trying to categorise the most diverse range of materials. Materials that make up everything. Materials that are too small for us to see. Materials that change properties with temperature. Materials that mix and combine. I mean, uh, amazing to be able to find that pattern.
1: And with Mendelev's table, chemists were able to predict the properties of the missing elements based on their column and position. Suddenly... The atomic world started to make sense
0: but now the question was why do they follow this cycle i'm gonna try and simplify this for you as it's quite complex okay
1: you mean you don't understand uh, it's easy
0: <laughs> okay answer the, the basics. basics um and this comes down to well basically the number of electrons they have so if you remember back to the beginning the atomic number increases with the number of protons neutrons and electrons the electrons orbit the nucleus, don't they? hmm So, as the number of electrons increases, so do like the layers in which they orbit, or what's called shells. So, if you've got a periodic table which shows you the electron orbits, that's where it gets scientific, <laughs> um, you'll see that within each column, you will typically have the same number of electrons. So, if you look at the Nobel Gases, so that's going to be the far right-hand column of your table. hmm And you'll see that the last or the outer shell on all of them contains eight electrons, doesn't it? Uh If you go one column to the left, you've got fluorine, chlorine, bromine, iodine, etc. The outer shell contains seven. Uh Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you go to the first column, you've got, what is it, potassium and sodium and things in there, I think it is, isn't it? Yep. And then they have only one electron in their outer shell. Now, it's actually the number of electrons that they have which gives a lot of the properties of the element itself. So the Nobel gases, all of those when they react with the electricity, like xenon, they illuminate, don't they? Mm -hmm. And then with the potassium and sodium, put those in water and they catch on fire. So that's a really key factor for how they behave. And that's what the period is, that's what that cycle is and that repeating. You also get the electrons, how they orbit around the nucleus. It forms different shapes. And these are shared by groups of elements as well, and that's where we get like our metals and non-metals and our noble gases etc. from it's from the shapes that the orbits make. And then finally, some atoms, they actually like to trade or share electrons, and this is what's called covalent bonds. And there's a couple of different ways this can happen. So what most atoms will want to do is try and get eight electrons in the outer shell. This is called the octet rule, and this is when they're at their most stable and least reactive, which is why the Nobel gases don't react with many things. So if you take your last column of noble Gases with eight on, now each side of that is gonna be um, elements with seven to the left of it and one to the right of it, yeah? yeah. Because remember the table's looping for each row.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Which means the that-
1: cycle again. Exactly,
0: yeah. it's the cycle, yeah. So when elements from these two columns come into contact with each other, they are gonna try and share electrons in their shell. As an example, you've got element 11 is sodium, and then that's got what one electron is out of shell, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Then element 17 is chlorine and that's got seven. So yeah. what happens when you combine chlorine and sodium together?
1: You get an eight.
0: Yeah. So what's going to happen is the one from sodium it's going to hop over into the chlorine. What is sodium chloride? Salt. Salt exactly, yeah. Common table salt. Another example is water. So what's that made of?
1: Oxygen and hydrogen
0: yeah so oxygen has six electrons in its outer shell then hydrogen only has one but what's it it's h2o isn't it so it's two hydrogen one oxygen so what's that add up to eight eight exactly so that's why they form these bonds and combine together and then what you'll find is because of how elements atoms want to combine together with other ones to become stable you don't often find them alone by themselves in nature they always going to be in these different combinations of these molecules, which is something I'd like to look at in a later episode to actually discuss more. It's about 7 million different compounds that we know about. And there's actually a new one recently discovered on a meteorite that hit the Earth. <gasps> so there's a lot more to it than what I've explained here, but this basic principle helps you understand why many elements behave the way they do, and why they react and why they form molecules. When put into the periodic table, we can suddenly see why lithium, sodium and potassium all react with water and why xenon neon and argon glow when electrically stimulated or why some elements are not as conductive as others it gives order to the invisible the periodic table shouldn't be remembered as a chart of random numbers and letters on the classroom wall It's so much more than that by understanding a few simple rules you unlock the building blocks of the universe there is a beauty in its structure and in the elements that it charts They give rise to the magnificence of nature, of the stars that take our breath away, of the air we breathe, the food we eat, of life itself. Every taste, feeling, sensation and emotion we feel ultimately boils down to the chemistry of the elements. Simultaneously complex and incredibly simple, visible and invisible, solid yet mostly empty space, they are a paradox of our reality. For thousands of years we have strived to understand the building blocks of the world, Their story is so much longer, it stretches back to the beginning of time itself, and it will continue until the very end. We are made of the remnants of exploded stars, and long after our death, when no trace of humanity exists, the atoms that form our bodies and allow us to hear and understand the words that I'm saying now, they could be part of a new star, or even a new alien life form. I think this is reason enough to want to understand, to want to know our place in the universe, Many of the scientific pioneers follow dead-end paths, such as trying to convert lead into gold, or experimented purely out of curiosity or discovery. And the understanding or discovery of these new elements happened by accident. And this can be science at its best, play, discovery, and curiosity. Not for a fixed outcome with budgets and deadlines and performance reports, but just for something new, for something undiscovered. And should we treat it more like art, as something creative, It's ultimately a medium in which we find our place and our meaning. Very good. Maybe I got a bit passionate there.
1: (laughs) Um, I mean, why not? It's everything that we just talked about.
0: Exactly. Because you get people saying, oh, why do we spend millions growing plants in space when people on Earth are hungry? But that's the wrong question, I think. It should be, why do we spend millions on a single football player or a painting? Or billions on entertainment or buying twitter really because through all of this exploration scientific knowledge and we can then progress ourselves as a species actually one thing that i was reading about petron cars used to have lead they said that when there was lots more lead in the air because of that people's average iq dropped by 12 points so that's why you're cleverer than i am Uh uh-huh um but
1: i was stupid as well at the beginning of the (laughs) episode (laughs) um
0: so just a, I was imagining a point where in the future where if we don't understand these elements or these chemicals or what we're doing, could it be where we start putting so much of X, Y or Z into the atmosphere that we reach a point where we're too stupid to fix it? <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's our episode on the elements, mate. That's
1: good. All I can say, it was good.
0: One last push, go on.
1: One last push. It was really good.
0: Oh, wow. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so I'd like to do a little bit more on maybe chemical compounds and things, but this is looking at the structure of the atom mostly and a little bit about the discoveries. Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe a mini series on individual atoms as well. Maybe that could be on a Patreon.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah.
1: Patreon, yeah. we're actually doing stuff.
0: I hope we've done okay. It's our first time we recorded for two months. Yeah. So um, a bit rusty.
1: I still got a bit of a blocked nose. That's why we couldn't record before. Every five minutes, I was just sniffing. So yeah, and also we were locked in the pits of hell.
0: Oh, we were locked in the pits of hell, and we have escaped. And so remember, you could back us on Patreon, um, where I'll be able to uh, cover cost of books, and then buy rate education.
1: Mm-hmm. Please do. <laughs> um,
0: speaking of which, you can follow us on Twitter at
1: at That's
0: right, Instagram
1: at Child Pod.
0: yeah you could also find us on facebook if you look there um yeah so you find us on social media come say hi visit our website which is the
1: Curiosity of a child.com
0: that's right um
1: buy merch shops what? at the curiosity of a child.com
0: oh yeah check out anton's 12 days of christmas youtube videos where he does little builds um uh, yeah. christmas themed, which are really good
1: that is the curiosity of gaming on youtube
0: that's right yeah so thank you very much for listening. Um, I hope you found this interesting and I hope I didn't make too many mistakes with the science. Mm. Thank you very much for listening. And um, we will be back soon with another episode when Hopefully. I- But well, what are we gonna do next episode?
1: I don't know. Maybe we should ask our listeners.
0: Yeah, contact us. What do you wanna learn about? We wanna hear from all of you and don't forget to review us at the same time, wink wink.
1: Uh-huh. Maybe we'll do a, yeah, leave a review and ask and tell us what you want to hear next. Maybe we'll do a poll on Twitter as well, eventually, of a couple of different subjects. We'll see. Yeah,
0: yeah that's a good idea. Anyway, thanks very much, and um, stay curious and look out for atoms.
1: Uh, I haven't seen any for a while, actually. They're
0: everywhere. 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 Bye. Bye. <laughs> Loves like like, that, like these, are, I imagine. But the health and safety wouldn't have been at the level we're. Well, <laughs> 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 um.